in today's segment, we're going to discuss dating younger or older. We're going to also discuss the gender wars between black men and black women. We have to have this discussion. And what is it like dating in your 40s and so much more? This is your host, Sean Heineman, with another segment of It's Scary to Remarry, wanting you to love fearlessly. Today's guest is the host of the Mental Dialogue podcast, The Return of Intelligent Radio. I've been a longtime listener since maybe like 2017. I've been listening for some years, and he always have great content, so I keep coming back. So that's how long I've been rocking with the station. Uh, he is passionate about the wellness of the Black community. He hosts events in the Atlanta area. He does spoken word and about to release a book, which we will discuss as well. Brave Arts community, let's show some love to Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. How you doing, Montoya? Hey, thanks a lot, King, for having me on, man. Glad to be with you. Yes, you have been rocking with me for a long time. I've been fortunate enough to get you on my show. Uh, I know our schedules don't always match up, but I'm glad to, you know, get a chance to uh, rock out with Scary to Remarry. Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah, I was. I was a guest on the show uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, so, yeah, that was the experience I was happy to finally get on. Uh, let's, I, there's so much stuff I want to ask you today. So let's jump into today's segment. Uh, you are fully committed to empowering black men and women holistically. That's mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, and uh, family legacy. Like you cover everything when it comes to the whole and complete black family or a uh, black person individually. Uh, where was your passion? Where was that cultivated for black people? Uh- um, I always have to give credit to the to the, my accidental um, discovery of the autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, which is a lot of times becomes a lot of black men specifically, um, I guess, jump into consciousness, if you will. And uh, I always had a, a level of consciousness. I grew up in South Carolina in the South. And uh, my hero naturally was Dr. Martin Luther King growing up in the church and the things that in a sense he had done for our people. And so I really, really admired Dr. Martin Luther King. And then I used to have a library card um, and my mom every summer was like, you know, I could pretty much enjoy my summer, but I had to get books or whatever. So, or whatever. And I enjoyed reading anyway. So it wasn't like it was hard for her to get to do it. Um, but anyway, in my little small three stop light town, uh, majority white town, about 20% black, I would say. And I, I literally, I'm at the library one day and there was a book with a tor- torn cover on it. I don't know why this torn cover. You know what I'm saying? Intrigued me. I mean, because I couldn't even really read it, but maybe that's why it intrigued me. Um, but the thing about it is, I had never read a book that thick in my life at that point. Even though I was an avid reader for a kid, I was like going into my seventh or eighth grade. Y'all always forget what summer it was. Um, I think going into my eighth grade. But either way, I usually would get books on uh, magic tricks and things of that nature. But this book intrigued me, and I opened it up, and for some reason, I took it home. And that was the opening into my consciousness of being very concerned about what happened to us. Again, I already had a natural concern, enjoyed Black history, had some great teachers at church and in school. uh, But that just drove me to, in a sense, want to be like, in a sense, Malcolm, in the sense that he became my hero and he cared so much about our people. So that was that's what drives that passion. That's why I give that credit to, uh, you know, one of my heroes, Malcolm X. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. So, yeah. So y'all make sure to go and pick up the autobiography of Malcolm X if you haven't read it yet, because uh, I, I love that because usually we give credit to, say, a person, you know, 
but for it to be a book that's that speaks volumes like literally <laughs> okay i can dig that yeah definitely i've read for at this point i've read like 16 books on malcolm like that's my you know what I'm saying my hero for real mm, love it love it yes he's definitely been an influence on my life as well uh you, now on your show because i'm always listening you all you talk about the hashtag marriage before children um which I find very interesting, even in today's age, because culture has like totally shifted. And I'm all for the hashtag uh, when you use it on social media. So give me your reason and why should we marry before having children? Absolutely. And I've actually changed the hashtag within the last probably eight eight months. I think it was about eight months ago, maybe a little less. Mm -hmm. Um, It's healthy marriage before children. Healthy marriage. I love that. No, that's healthy marriage. Yeah, yeah. So it's hashtag healthy marriage before children. Now, here's the thing. Marriage before children is absolutely foundation. But I had to add the healthy because as I break down why I even came up with the term marriage before children, I like making up hashtags. But that's obviously, like you said, one that I push very heavily. I had to add the healthy because I realized even way back when we were doing dialogues, whether I put the hashtag up on social media, sometimes I get a little back and forth on social media or we're discussing it on the show. I realized that one thing that I had to always distinguish when I was having the dialogue, because again, I am an advocate like yourself of getting married before children, Mm -hmm. if you will. I was always running into people um, basically denigrating marriage itself or, or assuming that I was saying ma- just any kind of marriage would do, even though the whole time I would be so confused. I'm like, if you're listening to what I'm describing, I'm not saying get married to anyone or stay married no matter what. And so I had to help. I had to add the healthy because people would get stuck on the marriage part of the hashtag as if the before children wasn't even part of the hashtag. We would stay in one space. And I'm like, Let's have a discussion about the entire hashtag. But the before children, it is it's not a hashtag marriage. It's not a ha- you see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I put the healthy to limit some of people focusing on well, what do you mean by marriage? Or, or marriage is not what it used to be, or people don't get married for the same reasons. And I'm like, I says, because here it is. Before I added the healthy, Sean, mm-hmm. I always talk to myself, I'm like, well, it's a given that I want you to be healthily married before having these children because it's about the children. (laughs) And I realized it wasn't. So I had to add the healthy. So just to kind of give that backdrop because it matters so much. And then ultimately, um, like you said, um, the way society and culture is, the idea was as much as I have these conversations on hard conversations on race, sex, and culture, because the idea ultimately is to raise the culture, right? That's what we're doing. That's our dedication. Like you said, we're committed to helping people in all the ways that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so what I realized for all of the issues we talk about that are, you know, that maybe are within our community that we want to improve upon, I realized the thing that was missing in all of them. It's a lot of times we talk about economic empowerment, right? That's one of the things where I was talking about the lack of money in the community or how to gain more money for our community. And I, and I used to be on them same pushes and I came to realize that the people who sit in a sense had some foundation to kind of have the things that we're designing as a culture as I, because I'm, you know me, I'm into numbers. I'm a stats guy. I'm gonna do a show tonight on data and stats, right? So mm-hmm. I've always been into the numbers. And sometimes people think that I'm strictly about the numbers. And I've always understood that the numbers and stats are basically um, 
just a, um, a, a viewpoint, not the actual reality, but it just gives you a trend, right? And yeah. so for years in looking at the numbers, the people that I saw that least struggle with the things that we always talk about struggling with were married couple with kids that, that were successfully married. Not obviously people get divorced and things of that nature, but for those, those children seem to have a much better outcome than the rest of us in a sense, in general, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, you know, and I was like to make this real clear because people go to these extremes, you know, it's not to say that every two parent home is okay. Right. That's, that's how people go to the extremes when you're talking about the general trend. I'm talking about an obvious difference. And I'll give some exa- example of what I mean too, just for clarity purposes. Mm-hmm. So poverty for married couples, black married couples specifically, those children are about an 8% chance of being in poverty. About 8% of them grow up in poverty. Mm-hmm. For single parents, whether that's mother or father, but typically even, you know, mostly mothers, you know, the reality is, that could anywhere at any given time has ranged from 20 to as high as 35%. So I haven't looked at the numbers today or whatever, because there's always a various, right? But overall poverty rates in the country are around 4%. So the black married couple was almost right at where the rest of the country is. That's mm-hmm. a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I point this out to answer your number. I'm trying to answer your question. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I, you know, I have to, you know, I'll kind of take the long route to get to the answer. Sure. So I pointed out in seeing that distinct difference, I'm like, oh, okay, here's something that for all the things that I'm seeing in, when I get in these group discussions or I join these groups and they're pushing for things, I'm like, this little black couple over here kind of got everything we're saying we want the group to have. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, if we get that foundation, some of the stuff kind of takes care of itself. Yep. And then if we, in a sense, we also talk about, the idea of having a village, we know that the village is lost, let's we admit that now, but we never go past that step. We just kind of say the village is lost now. So it's something that we understand, but we don't have the dialogue about how do you return the village? Because what we think is, well, let's try to be the village as we currently are. Well, people don't understand the dynamics of what that looks like in real life. So what happens is in real life, if both of you and I are single dads and we're both working, it becomes a little difficult. You and I can become best friends. And I might say, hey, bro, I got your kids tonight. You go out this weekend and vice versa. I might do it. But in the day's world, with if we're just both single parents, single dads with our children, we'll rock out just between you and I. Yep. But there's a yep. big difference when you, if you happen to be in a neighborhood with a bunch of married couples, right? And maybe a couple of the mothers do stay at home. Maybe most people are working or whatever. But there's a trust factor when there's, there's a big trust factor when there's a, a, a mother and father in the home married. Mm-hmm. It becomes much easier than how much I have to bet you as a single man to make sure you're my partner. That process takes so long for you to become my partner. I'm not going to keep doing that with this single mother over here. And this. once I got you, it's just you and me, bro. Mm-hmm. We look out for each other. But mm-hmm. adding somebody else, even if they're, out, even if they're in the same cul-de-sac, even if they're in the apartment across from us, adding somebody else until the point where I would trust you with my kids. I'll just, the process took so long between you and me that I'm not finna add the, per, the, the young lady across the, right across the hallway with her kids. We'll be cool. We'll have her back and she say, hey, fellas, can y'all do this for me? But she ain't trusting her kids with me and you as the man. But if you got a wife, mm. she might be more prone. Hey girl, go find your man. We got your children. So the village is naturally cultivated 
where the majority of the village is married couples versus the dynamic that's happening in our neighborhoods now where there are very few married couples in our neighborhoods because there's a natural trust, a natural level of responsibility. And again, I always have to say this for the people that go to the extremes. It's not as if they're not married couples where there's some bad problems or they actually even harm children. But again, going to the numbers, married couples, especially with their own children, in other words, they're biological children. When you start comparing that data to stepfather situations, live-in boyfriend and girlfriend situations, the data is astronomical to how much abuse happens even in step-parent situations yep. compared to um, parents with their biological children. So again, for the extremists, and people who love to go to the extreme, yes, you can have, a, I'm not saying automatically that a married couple can be the person you take care of, but you cannot we cannot deny the natural level of, of trust that is afforded to in all levels of society, even your, you as a husband, even you as a wife in the community, in society, how you're seen in your work field, all these things end up giving you leverage for mm-hmm. all the things we say we desire for our community to have. So creating the baseline of marriage before children, because at the end of the day, as I always t- say, we, we got caught up in the last 50 to 70 years of marrying only for love, whereas humans have always been marriage-minded based on legacy, then love, and mm-hmm. legacy is the children. So you connect it all together. Marriage before children solves a lot of the issues that I've been worried about most of my life. Once I figured it out, I start pushing that hashtag, and as I just said, I added healthy because I didn't want people getting stuck on what marriage is today. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I, I love that. Uh, yeah, because, and, and I'm thinking about a lot of stuff as you speak. I'm just like, man, there's so many places we can go with that. Because I do agree that if you do see a mother and father that's married, you do have more trust, right? You have this, this trust factor. Um, but I know we kind of live in a society today where uh, shoot, people rarely trust anybody because we don't even know our neighbors. You know what I'm saying? Like times have totally changed. Uh, you'll, you'll pull up in your garage and <laughs> never say hi to your neighbor. You know, you pull up in your garage, you go in the house, you through. Um, but I do realize that times have changed. And I do want parents to uh, I, I heard a, a pastor say one time, the best thing you can give your children is a healthy marriage. Absolutely. Love that. What is what is dating like being in your 40s with no children? Um I don't date a lot, to be honest. Um, you know, just being very honest. Um, I know in my in my 30s, I definitely was getting a lot of, you know, one two, I would get two almost two extremes. What are you waiting on? Mm -hmm. And as I got closer to 40. You know, there's, you know, underlying, not too much of this. I don't want to exaggerate this, but a little bit of what's wrong with you type stuff or whatever, because it wasn't normal or whatever. Mm. And, um, and I've seen people even suggest that. Right. Mm. Um, But my mother, I was giving her credit, was always just kind of pushing the concept of don't bring no children home. So for the most part, I went most of my life being very protective as much. I even I was very sexually active in my twenties or whatever, and uh, you know my late teens or whatever. But I just kind of followed my mom's ethic, and and you know what I'm saying. And I just always knew that I wanted to get married before I had children or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and so some of the dialogues that we have on the show 
ends up being real experiences from my own life from the standpoint of when I say we get caught up in love, I was one of those people. I was one of those people that was caught up in the romanticized version of what marriage looked like. And so I end up getting, you know, as I, I have a show that says how I lost 10 years chasing love, right? Like 10 years or whatever. So I started to, to try, try to not answer your question that as I've gotten into my forties, I've finally matured into recognizing that I have to be what I'm looking for. Mm. And um, getting exposed to that was probably within the last four to six years. And so I had a lot to, at that point, by getting at that age, now I got 40 something years to look back on and say, okay, I, had I gotten married before I learned some of the things I'm learning now, I probably would have been like, unfortunately, a lot of my friends who weren't necessarily, a lot of my friends are on their second marriage. Most of them are happy. Some of, you know, some of the ones that got married a little later, you know, they're doing their thing or whatever. And most of my friends have gotten married, you know, on a, or, or a lot of, I should say most, but a lot of them are on their second marriage. And again, the ones that got married later, they're doing, they're very successfully married now or whatever. But I net, but it's me taking that um, in a sense, that personal accountability, which wasn't easy to do. And I'm mm -hmm. still in the process of doing it. So because of it, I haven't dated as much because I wanted to get in a sense myself right to really be on the scene. So I kind of keep my eyes out there looking and available. Uh, but part of it is now that I understand this legacy thing, I'm also trying to find a, a woman who understands that as well. And that's not as easy to understand in this day and age for a lot of the reasons that we talked about. And now that I'm older, I do have to kind of look towards younger women. Here's my reality. As a young man, I dated older women. So flipping that script is also difficult and then in today's society finding a younger woman who understands now what i didn't take to my 40s to learn that marriage you know really marriage before children meaning i'm focused on the legacy is so it becomes difficult to find a young lady raised in this era who gets that right so now that i understand that i, I even have to be even more particular Mm -hmm. And who I'm looking for, whereas in my 30s, I would have accepted that because I didn't have that mindset outside of I just knew I wanted to be married first. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I was caught up in chasing the romanticized part of it, mm -hmm. you know, thinking, I, you know, let me find my one as a soulmate type situation or yeah. whatever. And then, of course, well, I would have children, but that's still not a legacy before love purpose. Mm hmm whatever so that's you know i'm saying i don't know if i've answered your question but i just wanted to kind of explain what it is for me at this point uh, no for sure i uh totally understand because i believe and i caught a lot of flack for this but it's okay i always say i think it's just better at least for men men should marry until they're at least 35 and over um i agree with that just because a lot of men we don't we just don't get it i don't know and then we too busy chasing women in those younger years, we're not thinking about nobody else. We're just thinking about who who we rocking, who we rocking in the bed next, you know. So, to to get married and to have a family, like you got to be selfless. Um, and I think most men don't get that until maybe they late thirties, early forties. Shoot, some guys never get it, but right. I agree. That's I think it's probably better for men to marry later. Now I understand women they have a biological clock, so once they get the tick and they like, hey if he breathing and got a job, you know, I'll take it, but, um, but let me ask, throw this in there, you know, just for our dialogue. And so, so it does bring, cause I agree with that. I that's, you know, and I, and I got that the group that kind of started making me flip 
and understanding legacy the per, you know like again i always knew i wanted to be married first but just really understanding what marriage was well they advocate the same thing you know black men specifically 35 and up partly due to our american experience you know mm-hmm. partly due to our the reality that two-thirds of us at this point or the you know children now are probably going to be raised without their father you know whatever it doesn't mean that father's not involved but i'm just talking about growing up in the home which creates a whole different level of responsibility and expectations quite often. And I always tell people, I highlight that my friends in college who did have their dad, they were focused on things that the rest of us were not focused on. You know what I mean? Like we, we I was, it was a big noticeable difference, at least in my experience. Again, I always have to give this, you know, disclaimer. It doesn't mean everybody, because everybody always just runs to the bad situations to just make a disclaimer for what you're saying. But I just saw that. And so I think with our Black American experience, I'm putting that into it, that, I, and I, I just did a show on the very thing you just said on healthy Black men, the number that exists, mm-hmm. that our reality is we quite often fall into manhood later since we, if most of us did not have our father, because eventually you might mature sooner if your father's one being an example and also kind of own you like, boy, when you're going to grow up, because that's part of growing up for the previous generations was taking on the responsibility of a family. I, with, without having fathers in our lives in general, then that's why we spend extended adolescence. That's why I agree with the 35 and up completely. And then the last thing I'll say, and this is what I really wanted to add was, and due to that, um, my sister asked me last week, well, dang, she, she, she just got to wait till she's 35. I'm like, no, I, because women in general do mature quicker than us. I advocate, you know, older men, younger women quite often or whatever, or if you are, you know, in your 30s as a sister, you know what I'm saying? You know, get a brother that's mature because while we're not selfless, we're not going to be able to live out the legacy of a marriage anyway because marriage requires so much selflessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree because um, this is my second marriage and I'm 12 years older than my wife. So (laughs) I totally get it. (laughs) So. So, So check it out. Think about that. You're 12 years older than 12 years ago. You love her for where she's at now. If she got you 12 years ago, that would have been a bad, bad apple right there. You feel me? Exactly. Like, yeah. I really am an advocate of that. And we're just, we've moved away from that because it's, I get it in this culture where we have, haven't understood because in the past it was quite common for mm-hmm. the man to be older and i get that naturally you may be a, in a sense attracted to who's near you that's kind of natural but the dialogue about bringing back the village needs to include real conversations about the risk of of marrying us before we mature that's what i was talking about last week you know last week on my last week's podcast marrying us before we mature are there exceptional men who, who are mature at 25, 26, or 27? Absolutely. But it would be nice if your father is there to help you gauge if he's mature enough at 27 or 28 or even 23 for that matter. Whereas most of us, men, boys and girls, men and women, are having to select our partner without the help of both parents. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. always also been a part of the process. So if a lot of what I'm saying for anybody out there listening, if it's making sense, we can't return to any of this if we don't start the dialogue. It will just continue to go down the path that we went down. And we're not always as honest as a hip hop generation to at this point, 
let's admit this ain't working. Mm-hmm. We try to rationalize what we're currently doing. I get the natural rationalization for, well, this is, you know, this is how I came up. I didn't know any better. I get it. But can we now admit this ain't working as a culture? And then if we admit that, the next step has to be dialogue about what's better. So that's what we're ultimately always attempting to do with the Mental Dialogue Community Club and the show is let's have the dialogues and people, a lot of times it will resonate as if we're setting judgment. No, when I say healthy marriage before children, it's a goal. Let's figure out what that includes. Yes, it includes getting your own personal therapy, getting yourself right so that you can be available and right for a wife because our children, let's admit, deserve being planned for. Yep. Like I respect the fact that you love them once they're here. There's nothing wrong with that. But can we, we nobody can argue that it would not be better if you plan for them. So why would we argue against that? But we do because we're not doing it as much no more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we, we, we live in uh, different times for sure. I seen a, a tweet from the roommates and uh, the tweet said that we are more picky about the restaurants that we go to than people who we choose to sleep with. <laughs> and people were pissed, <laughs> you know, and which is true, right? You know, and, and this is no judgment on anybody. I'm just saying, like, I, I, I totally agree, but we do have to do better uh, with decision making and who we land down with and who you might potentially have a child by. Like, you're going to be stuck with this person for the next 20 years, you know, so choose wisely because this person can help make or break you. I remember going through a divorce and I had to pay child support and alimony. Uh, so it's like, yeah, be careful. And I was married for almost 15 years in my first years. Let me add something to what you just said too. Just again, I like, you know, our goal is to plant seeds, raise the culture. Mm -hmm. So you're not stuck with them for the next 20 years. You're stuck with them for life. Our children are always our children, you know, like coming from African culture, all these children are ours. That's the concept of having a village. So Mm -hmm. I want to always extend and expand the dialogue even, you know, because that's what we say now, you're stuck with it for 20 years, because we're kind of stuck in today's society mindset of, you know, 18 years of, of you know, child support, or if they go yeah. to college, 22 years, one years of child support. But the reality is, your children don't ever stop being your children. You know what I'm saying? If you 80 and your child 60, that's still your child. <laughs> I'm just saying, but I'm just saying, but just to extend the thought process. So when you lay down, and a night of lust, if it, you know, not, it may not be your case, but just talking about the dialogue leads to another life. That's, that's, that's for life. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I totally agree. Cause uh, yeah. And, and, oh my God. Yeah. Cause I was about to say, this is another topic. Cause I was going to talk about co-parenting and all that stuff, but I just want to stay on topic, but that's, okay. uh, that's, that's real though. Uh, do you find that women in our age group had the same struggles as younger women? Or do you find older women being truly mature? Um, <laughs> and, and, so, and for example, I, uh, okay, well, okay. no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's, it is a balancing act. Okay. I, I, think, I think now that I'm in this, 
you know, this place of personal journey, I run into straight mature women on a regular basis to a degree, but I'm not out there as much. So I haven't explored them in relationships to a degree. I keep looking mm-hmm. and I gravitate to the mature women, whether they're, you know, right now in friendships or even who I consider dating. So now I'll say yes. Before I had a good understanding of this legacy stuff, I would always constantly say, wow, even my age to a degree sometimes you know didn't seem to be as mature as I might have wanted and especially coming from a brother who had dated older women most of my life I'm talking about you know five ten sometimes even 15 years my senior mm. like I, I even when I was 25 I loved 30 with 30 you know and when I was late 20s I date 40 year old like I loved older women but I will say that I feel like 40-year-old women in general are, are very mature. I'm just going to say in general, they're very mature. So what I run into now as a you know late 40s guy looking to still get married and have children, I actually resonate with women in my age group, but my issue now becomes, dang, you still want children. So I've had a couple of great situations where it was like, I ain't even going to date you. You're a great guy, but I can't, I'm not going to have children. I can't have children. You know what I mean? So I would say that I do run into it, but yeah, are there surprisingly some 40 year old women who are not mature, but that goes back to what you said that extended adolescence for black men don't always end for a lot of men too. So yeah, there's some immature 40 year olds, but in general, I think sisters are in general, very mature in their forties. But when you say run into the same struggles, um, their issue is very different because of the biological clock quite often. Mm-hmm. So it is a different, I think it's more difficult for sisters in their forties to a degree um, because, you know, as you and you are encouraging, get a brother that's, get a brother that's 35, or you also start getting into better earning, earner potential in your later ages or whatever. And as a, as a brother finally gets the maturity to understand how to be selfless and now has gotten itself together. Cause as I put, pointed out in last week's show, most brothers don't end up having seeds, believe it or not, even though that's the narrative, don't have seeds. So when they get their money together and they go to looking, they end up being similar to myself. I want to have children. So it becomes harder that. That's why I advocate the younger woman, because in her 40s, that brother, now that he got himself together, sometimes he's looking for somebody he can have children with. Mm-hmm. So that's the reality that we have to speak to, that people will try to say you're judging something that's the rally reality that you speak to now for a lot of you know a brother that may have had children that's perfect he, he may f- try to find a sister that don't want children no more so it, people line up like that all the time as well yeah yeah i i totally agree because um i know in my situation um i had children at an older age you know so because I, I have a one-year-old and i just turned 45 <laughs> <laughs> you know if so. i ever get my one year i'm gonna be 50 bro i get mine <laughs> if i'm lucky enough to get mine so <laughs> if i'm lucky enough to get one at this point the made it these ladies might not want me, you feel <laughs> and i ain't on camera today either, so they don't even know <laughs> i know right but you know for me and like you said we don't have that clock you know and, and women do uh, because I, I have a daughter that's older, a daughter that's 18. So I have the wide range of spectrum right. from 18 all the way down to one. So, uh, yeah, life, you know, everybody always got their life written out on a piece of paper or they know what they think they know where they want to go. But uh, they always, you know, always say, if you want to make God laugh, tell them your plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've definitely heard that before. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, why are we still having a gender war amongst black men and women? And will we ever change the narrative? Uh, we can only change the narrative if we speak the reality because the gender war, unfortunately, is fueled by false narratives. Mm. Whatever. And part of it is due to um, some of the stuff we just talked about. There's a lot of trauma. We always talk about the trauma that's associated in the African-American community. So then it also gets perpetuated and becomes exponential as you have less and less family structures, right? Mm -hmm. And so the trauma now starts generally affecting more people in the community, in the culture, in the race, if you will. And so think about, you know, you've probably been through this period. And again, I'm just, as much as I advocate for therapy, I'm just now getting therapy on a regular basis to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, like most black men or whatever, didn't see a real need for it or whatever. And even as I've gotten into it, I think I've relatively been correct in that I didn't necessarily have these specific traumas that I needed to get necessarily dealt with with therapy. It's kind of been more assisted me with like these blocks I didn't know I had or whatever. But my bigger point is this. So whatever your trauma may be, may have been like, you know, especially I didn't, you know, I had a pretty good family situation with my single mother and my grandparents. I had a village. So I was fortunate not to have a, a lot of traumatic situations like some people may have went through. But if you've had those traumatic situations, whether it came from your parents, your childhood, cousins, your neighborhood, whatever the case may be, mm -hmm. but what happens is when that becomes your experience, there's this concept that in seeking out mates, you will seek what's familiar to for to you versus what's best for you, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you know. What I'm saying if you if you if your mother yelled at you a lot or whatever, you know your mother loves you, but that's just kind of her way of talking. So believe it or not, you will seek that in a situation because that 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 feels familiar versus. Uh, you know, a healthy, mature person coming into your life is boring. It doesn't, you know, I don't, you don't even feel like that person loves you because you've never seen that form of love. So mental dialogue, so to go into the psychology of all this. So if you keep attracting what you're familiar with, that becomes your relative reality. And so that's what you see on the internet. That's how the gender way, gender world gets exasperated by what's not the reality for the majority, but those who are hurt are loudest. Yep. And now that we are in the social media age, you have a actually a platform to run to. So, so if you go on social media, you would think that's the majority of Black people and Black women and that the gender war affects 80% of Black men and Black women because when you're on your game, when you're not experiencing trauma, you know where you spend no time? You spend no time on the internet complaining. Your life's too good, too happy to be spending time on the internet complaining. Mm -hmm. Or you might show that you're living a good life, but you're not spending time complaining. And all I'm simply saying is, while that's the majority of the culture, the internet makes it look like. So again, the gender war gets exasperated. I'm just repeating to be clear here. Mm -hmm. gets exasperated by those who are hurt and those who are loudest, who have a platform to run to the internet. And now you believe this is all there is because if you haven't dealt with your own trauma not only will you see it on the internet every day but you will live it in life because you still haven't dealt with your trauma and you attract that which you are familiar with which is no good for you and so your life experience is the same as you see on the internet and so that's the unfortunate re reality for you in your relative experience mm -hmm. 
But when you get healthy and get out of that, you no longer attract that which you're familiar with, which is no good for you. You now attract and find out, wow, there's a whole world of these couples that are doing their thing and go on these couples trip and look out for their families and the majority of the culture. And you also stop going to the platform of hurt yep. and spending any time there and your whole world changes because you've got your trauma dealt with. And so the reality is the gender war, unfortunately, is growing. Mm-hmm. But I would just, you know, just to throw out a rough percentage. Obviously, no data. I haven't done a study on this. But I would say that's 30% of the culture growing. 70% yeah. of the culture is not spending no time. And, and it ain't me just saying it. It's I having this community club deal with plenty of people that don't even, some don't even know some of this trauma that's going on on the internet. Like yeah. that's how good their life is. Mm. They don't even know that, that 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 people are even doing that. If you ask them, if when you tell somebody, sometimes in their sixties, what dating is like for a girl or a man, they're blown away by that. They had no idea that it's that it that it seems like it's gotten to what it's gotten to, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a whole culture of not understanding legacy. So when you just chase the emotion of love, there's a lot of pain that comes with that. And the reality is since we as an entire culture are maturing later, you're having more experiences with more people than the older generation ever had. And so we'll just reduce it to, well, it's so different now and stop there. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's bigger than it really is. On the internet, it's alive and well and kicking and you think 80% of the culture is caught up in it, but yeah, that is yeah. not the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because... Uh... Dysfunction always get the they always make the most noise, you know. Exactly. Function, they always make the most noise. And uh, and you know you have grown and matured when you no longer have a taste for that stuff. Um yes. Say know. that say that say that for the people in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when when you heal, I, I seen a tweet that said heal people hear differently. Oh, I because, love it. I'm yeah, that one, brother. I, I stole it too. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hey, that's, that's the job, right? Steal it and spread it. Man, listen, you can. Hey, I don't mind copycatting long as I copy the right cat. But yeah, I'm just saying right that uh, when you when I read that, I said that's heavy because when you dysfunction, anybody say something to you, you just ready to pop off. You just full of emotions, you know, and and don't let it be like pressure points or triggers that, that right. bothers you right you ready to pop off and kill everybody um but when you heal you can take the time to look outside of yourself when somebody talk to you about something especially if it's personal you can come outside of yourself think for a second and be like okay and then heal people even apologize like if somebody say my Absolutely. twin you hurt me you can be like you know what man i'm, I'm sorry that I did that, you know, I apologize, you know, whatever, but healed people, they can accept their faults. Absolutely. They don't, they don't mind admitting those things. So I I love that uh, when we speak our truth and we're honest with ourselves that maybe I'm not healed because I'm popping off all the time. And if you are healed, then you can take the time to have some empathy to look outside of yourself and actually take some time to listen opposed to always being on the defense. Cause I know I struggled with that for years. I was always defensive. Um, and then once I went to therapy, you know, and do some more reading and all that other good stuff, I was like, damn, I was just really defensive. Nobody could tell me nothing because I'm ready to go off. 
Yeah, here's the ultimate thing that happens without understanding, again, healthy marriage before children, if I can allude back to that, and legacy before love. And I say, when I say legacy before love, again, I like to try to give as much clarity as, before, as I can. I'm not devaluing love. As I always say, you can't put the milk back into the jug. And so uh, we grew up in the era where we got to see romanticized movies, there's romance novels. And so basically industries have played up the love to make their money off of the entire culture, American culture, not just black people, if you will. Right. And so that's why we see so much, you know, romanticized stuff because it makes a lot of money. And so the entire society to a degree is falling into that trap to a degree and not realizing that humans have married for at least on record 5,000 years, mostly with the legacy in mind. I highlight this for this reason. So when you get caught up in the romanticized view, again, this is not devaluing love at all. It is very, it's absolutely a very important aspect of your marriage, but this understanding from this standpoint. So when you get caught up in the romanticized view, it will teach you to kind of look at what the person does for you. And so there's an aspect that psychologically, when you're unaware of your own trauma, you're actually looking to be filled by this person or your or more the mistake I would make in growing up in the hip hop era was the idea of can't you know we don't love these hoes or don't trust mm-hmm. them you can't trust them or whatever you know and so um so focused on that I'm over evaluating can I trust this woman you know while I'm being forthright or whatever I'm over evaluating that if you will or whatever because of my own fear. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So that's leading. So no, no person in those years of my life, where I didn't want to trust a woman had really had no chance to meet me. This standard that I created this, that this person, but the reason you're creating the standard is because you're a romanticized view. You're looking at the person to feel you. Yeah. That's the mistake. It's, do as best you can because nobody's going to come into, you know, ultimately, like ideally, to peel people would come together. Well, the reality is we're all going to come with some level of trauma based on our life experiences. So I don't want to paint this pretty picture as though you can come together with, you know what I'm saying? Again, getting as much self-help and therapy as you can get, highly advise it prior to getting married. And something that we also encourage in the Middle Dollar Community Club is pre-marriage counseling via a professional, not just your um, um, spiritual counseling that a lot of people will get. You know what I'm saying? We are prior jumping into that process prior to the marriage. Again, for all these, a lot of these reasons that we're talking about, knowing that within our culture in general, there's a lot of trauma. So I saw this to just kind of simply say that as you work on yourself to a degree, that ultimately um, not looking to the other person to fill you has been the biggest mistake that we've made due to getting caught up into the romanticized version. Yep. I agree because there's too many people who actually look for others to feel them. Um, and, and that's, that's no burden. That's a burden. No man or woman can carry alone. Right. Like that, that's one hell of a cross to carry to trying to make somebody else happy. It is not their job to make you happy. Like joy is an inside job. You know, you got to have that before you even meet somebody because we will have off days. Like you said, we all come with a certain amount of trauma uh, and, and personal issues. I always tell people, you know, some people just got sandwich bag size issues. Some people got garbage bag size issues. It just depends. You know, some people got more tra- trauma than the average and some people might not. So it's just best that you uh, 
become healed but when you are healed you have a tendency to attract what's already healed because dysfunction is not going to connect with you no absolutely absolutely uh, what's because we we um, winding down on time let's talk about your new book what's the name of your book and what is the book about and when will it be available okay absolutely um so it's called necessary conversations just my three cents on race sex and culture okay mm-hmm. necessary conversations just my three cents on race sex and culture and so basically what it is is it's a, it's a it's a unique book from this standpoint it's a bunch of commentaries that i've written over the past decade this book really should have been come out whatever mm-hmm. but i wrote you know just a lot of commentaries in relation to race sex and culture but the idea is for it to be a a conversation book so what happens is there's short commentaries and the idea is you, if you get get just my three get the book just my three cents that you can find your favorite commentaries and the idea is to have dialogue with other people in your circle because again ultimately our idea is to raise the culture so each commentary actually has discussion questions right after it it might take you three to five minutes some of them are a little longer maybe seven minutes but anywhere from three to five minutes to read a commentary and it'll have distinct um discussion questions that hopefully you'll dialogue with in the group so it's really more of you know you guess you could read it straight through but it's not designed for that it's literally designed to create dialogue which you know obviously fits into our ultimate you know what we do with the you know with the mental dialogue community club so that's the idea um i just um i literally um hopefully um i'll start pre-sales hopefully in the next couple of weeks i'm trying to send it my uh just finished all the editing I'm going to do with it, I'm sending it for a final edit, and um, eventually it should be available, hopefully on Amazon and my website, mentaldialogue.com here um, in the near future. But we're going to try to do some pre-sales before we fully release it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I know that's going to be a blessing because I've been a long-time listener, so I only can imagine what the book is going to do with your thoughts, probably even some things you haven't even discussed on the show yet. You know, you talk about right. 10 years um that's a lot of wisdom just within that time frame um <laughs> i want to thank you for taking some time out to be a guest today on the scary to mary i want to also acknowledge you for uh like you say raising the standard for us to have these uh smarter dialogues right um want to acknowledge you for being a voice for us today in today's culture because lord knows it is needed um, so just continue to do what you do um, with raising the culture and continually helping people with understanding our history, you know, so I, I really believe that's needed and I believe that's something that we kind of lost a little bit. So thanks again for all that you do for us. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you more than you know, brother. No, nah, thank you so much for having me on. If you don't mind, I can highlight tonight's show. Um, I don't know when this will play or whatever. So but I'll just say this on a regular um, so we have a new show, Just My Three Cents, same name as the book, that we do typically on Wednesdays or Thursday nights. So if you go follow us on um, on IG at mental underscore dialogue, you'll see the advertising for the advertisement for that. Um, tonight, you know, I don't know when we're going to broadcast this, but I'll say tonight we're discussing Black death, COVID-19, murders, police shootings by the numbers, you know. I love bringing, again, stats and facts to break up narratives. All the narratives that we run by sometimes are quite 
they're quite often not factual. So I try to bring as much truth. That's why I call you call your people brave hearts. I call all y'all truth seekers that follow, you know, follow, follow me as well. And then as you know, this is how you discover me every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the mental dialogue talk show, which is a two-hour deep dive in whatever race, sex, and culture issue that we may be discussing, as well as black business. So those are the things that we do deep dives on every Saturday morning. And again, if you follow us, you can go to mentaldialogue.com to um, become a member and support what we're doing or follow us on IG at mental underscore dialogue. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Oh, no problem. Brave Arts community, you heard it here. Make sure you connect with Black Socrates. Like I said, I've been a long time listener. Um, so if I'm listening, you should be listening to make sure you stop by Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast and uh, leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you and what you think about this episode and even the show just in general. So leave us that uh, rating, if you will. This is Sean Heineman here with another segment of the Scary to Mary with special guest Montoya Smith. And we are out. Take care, people.